0: Hello and welcome to The Raptors Show on Sportsnet. I'm your host, Wim Blue. The offseason is in full swing. The uh, Raptors content withdrawal is uh, is hitting. Um, definitely refreshing. Um, you know, the sites that I usually go to for Raptors news, not seeing anything. you're getting a couple of sprinklings here or there of uh, some workout videos, but, you know, like... I don't know. That's not enough to, 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 to hold me over. I've been really used to scrolling Twitter and, and all that kind of stuff. And also without um, actual basketball to talk about, Twitter is so terrible to use. So I've just been off of that. So, um, yeah, I've been trying of racking my head essentially for what to talk about on the podcast. And uh, when I usually run out of ideas, I just call my friends. So Asad, uh, Swar Lasers on Twitter, um, Asad Alvi, the slander expert, Um What's going on, Asad? Are, are you also suffering from Raptors content withdrawal? Uh,
1: I'm definitely, I'm, I'm definitely suffering from Raptors uh, content interest. Uh, in that, like, hey, I like, I love your show. I listen to every pod. Thank but you. I will say, right now, it was a little weird listening to that intro because over the summer, like, as much as I love hearing about, you know, Liban going to Applebee's, uh, <laughs> I got to put that like two X, like that beyond my regular one point five X. I got to put it to two X. I love it. But going from two X uh, will Lou to one X will Lou, is a uh, it's it's a it's a it's a bit of a trip. I won't lie. But yeah, I'm doing well. You know, I'm enjoying um, enjoying the summer, um, uh-huh. enjoying a little bit of the break from all the takes. I got to be honest. Like it got it got to be a lot. I think by the time like yeah we got to like last month of free agency. So I'm definitely not I'm definitely not taking it for granted the little bit of reprieve that we have here. Um, I don't have to like, it's been a week since we've had to really hear anything about Pascal Siakam, which has been awesome. Mm. Um, And I like that a little bit of breathing room, but that being said, uh, it also is a bit of a dead period in the NBA across the board. So it's also like, man, like I go online and I'm like, what, how do I feel these like four hours of doom scrolling a day about the Raptors?
0: That's what I mean. I think, I think like as, as human beings, like we actually have to like just do something else with those four hours, you know, like, I, I don't know. It, it's it's funny because um, in, in university, I got an economics degree, which is like mostly useless. I apologize to people who have economics degrees. Let me know differently if, you, if you're using your economics degree to your its full potential. Obviously, I'm not. Um, yeah. But there were so many things in the economic theory that we're talking about in terms of just like, oh, you know, like humans are going to act rationally and like, you know, we're going to make Essentially, the best decisions for ourselves, or whatever makes the most sense for us, and I'm like, yeah, but nowhere in that sort of like construct of like social science does really, it really describe doom scrolling for four hours about Pascal Siakam trade rumors, and you like hate every single one of the trade offers, you hate every single take that's out there, you hate sort of the, the the conversation around it, like, and I'm just like, if that's the case, we should just like disconnect, especially now when there's actually nothing going on. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe we just gotta. I don't know. We just got to listen to different four hours, man. I will say, as personally
1: having an economics minor, uh, uh-huh. one thing I did learn is that humans definitely overvalue short-term, um, short-term decisions versus long-term decisions. Okay. So right. uh, doom scrolling and getting the dopamine hit from a terrible take every three to five seconds uh, definitely, definitely uh, pushes like the rationality argument. It, it changes this. It tips the scales a bit. Mm. So yeah, and right. I miss it. I definitely miss it. Uh, there, There is, as as horrendous and toxic as it is to your soul, there is a joy that you get getting irrationally angry at some random person uh, with an unknown abby and five followers take on a player <laughs> trade that
0: is definitely illegal and doesn't salary match. And you're just like, what? Right. But hey, you got to do it. Yeah, so anyway, this podcast is actually not going to be about that, right? Because I I thought, like, we've done so much, like, talking about the fringes of the roster, because that's what Summer League really is. Um, We've done so much in terms of, like, trade rumors and speculation and, I don't know, getting Green John to talk about his reporting. Even I'm jumping into the reporting game a little bit. Like, there's been so much, like, just about everything except for the actual play itself. Um, that I kind of wanted to like take a very early look at next season and just look at sort of the make or break factors. to this team being good, because I think there is still a potential for this team to be good. Now I think the the margins for that are much more thin and um, we'll go through them, but I'm going to start with the ones that are most likely to break and then kind of go down in terms of just like what is less and less likely. But I mean, I don't know. I, I can see a scenario where this team is actually still good if they keep it all together And intact. Now, I don't want to have a discussion about the long-term thing about it right now because we've, quite frankly, we've had a lot of those discussions. And, you know, I would get on probably Blake to come on to talk about cap and being like, okay, well, you know, what's, if you sign Pascal to the max, and can you sign OG to the max? and Can you sign Scotty to the max? Like we we can do that in a different episode. This one, I just want to talk basketball with you, if that's all right. And so I have six make or break factors on the upcoming Raptors season. And like I said, these are going to be in order of most likely to happen uh, towards, like, less likely to happen. And in terms of importance, it's most important for these breaks to happen. Otherwise, the Raptors are just going to have a terrible season next year. And there's a legitimate chance of that as well. I would say that might be even likelier than the Raptors being great next season or definitely not great, but good next season. But, uh, yeah, I'll start with you in this one, all right? Raptors defense, this is number one make or break. The Raptors defense is top five or at least top five adjacent in terms of just like you know you're you're definitely in the top 10 and you clearly have one of your strengths of the team as defense and um i want to get your initial thoughts on that because if there is one thing this roster is built on that actually has great strengths or that they should play to their great strengths it should be a really really good defensive team and last year the raptors finished up at uh, 113.1 defensive rating. That was actually 11th in the league, but realistically, there's so much closer to average than it was to the top. Um, league average last season, offensive rating went up anyway. So naturally, defensive rating also went up. Um, But yeah, w- what do you think? Can the Raptors be a top five or come close to a top, top five defense next year?
1: They should be. Like, it's like here, again, if the Raptors are going to be successful in general, it's going to come down to their level of consistency night to night. So, like, we can just throw that out, out the door right now, right? Like, if they weren't going to be successful, no matter what factor it is, it's going to come down to them being consistent, consistent night to night. But this roster needs to be able to reach, like, a top five level on any given night. Otherwise, why is this roster even put together? Like, you yep. have Jacoperto at center and then his backup center is Christian Coloco. Like, those are as good as probably defensive centers as you can get um, on any given night. And those are your two guys playing 48 minutes, and then you've, added both Dennis Schroeder and Jalen McDaniels that should beef up your defense and your defensive versatility anyways. Uh, So there's really no excuse for them not being a good defense. Like how many guys in their rotation are going to be bad defenders? Uh, If they're playing a style that plays more to the other team having to beat them rather than them creating holes in their defense, I think that would help them more than hurt them where, you know, instead of having OG Ananobi, you know, randomly switching all over the floor, he's sticking to the, a matchup that he's supposed to stay on. Maybe that helps the team, right? Maybe it makes things easier for them. Uh, I know that one thing that as great as that Nick Nurse um, high chaos, high switch defense was, it definitely works a lot better with a veteran crew that knows exactly what the next move has to be when you have a lot younger team maybe it's a lot easier for them to play defense if they don't have to constantly be thinking about what the next thing they have to do is or the next next reaction they have to have is so there's really like there are reasons their offense can be bad there are reasons they can have a bad season next year but defensively they shouldn't they have no reason to be bad as a defensive unit next year so if they aren't at a top 5 level like every like two out of every three nights that's just like then, like, what are you doing with that roster? I got to be honest with you. I don't I don't see what the point is.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, listen, I, I completely agree with you. Like, yeah, I mean, this team absolutely needs to be good at defense because they are built on defense. And last year, I was actually surprised when I was looking at the numbers that they even finished 11th on defense. It, it felt like so many games last year, the defense just wasn't there available to them. And I think you could break that down into two parts, right? Like, the scheme... And, you know, how that ties to the personnel, that t- their ability to execute that scheme versus, like, their togetherness, right? Because, like, listen, you could play whatever scheme or you could have whatever personnel. If the team isn't cohesive and they're not together, not playing for each other, it doesn't really matter what scheme you're playing. You know what I mean? So I would say togetherness last season was missing. Okay. Um, I don't know how you're going to just magically fix all that. But you have swapped out uh, a lot of, like, the leadership structure at least, right? You took away Nick. Uh, You let him go. Fred ultimately walked. So, you know, those are two huge parts of your leadership structure last year. Who knows? There's a vacuum right now. So I think it can go either way. It can continue to, you know, stay poor or that it can really improve. Let me just assume that the togetherness, quote unquote, improves. Okay, because honestly, unless you're like there in the hearts of these guys, you don't really know how to say that. So in terms of the more tangible things that we can kind of look at in terms of the scheme itself, you know, I, one thing that was interesting last year. So I thought the Raptors just did such a poor job of defending corner threes last year in the sense that they were almost give up way too many. Now, at the start of the season, they were definitely trapping everybody and pretty much swarming anybody with the ball, partially because they wanted to play for transition opportunities and, and, and create turnovers and score, which is a good thing. But then again, you're kind of overloading or overhedging your, your defense. And what that typically meant was that two guys on the ball in the middle of the floor the easy outlets were always in the corners, and when you looked at the numbers, the Raptors, before the the trade deadline, they were allowing 10 corner threes per game to their opponent, which was like top three in the league in terms of most attempts uh, by an opponent in terms of just allowing the most corner threes. They were allowing over 10 a game. And then after Yak came in, I thought they were able to play a lot more traditionally, stay at home a lot more. And they actually improved to only allowing eight corner threes per game, which actually was the ninth best in the league. So they went from third most threes given up to like 22nd most threes given up uh, after the yak trade. How do you think the Raptors should line themselves up defensively based on this roster? Because to me, it seems more sensible to stay at home a little bit more often, use your length a little bit more often. And maybe double team a little bit less often, and live with more contested threes at the top of the floor, or even pull up jumpers rather than allowing corner threes so much.
1: Yeah, I one hundred percent agree. Like, I think like you have your handful of guys that are gonna like dig into players. Like, if you have a Dennis Schroeder, you have a Gary Trent, you have a Jalen McDaniel's, maybe those are the guys that you have play more pressure defense um, in a half court setting. Dennis Schroeder loves to play pressure like full court mm-hmm. as well. Like, those are your specialists who are gonna go and get into the ball. But then everybody else, you can like the whole point of being like as physically gifted and having all that length when you have a Scotty Barnes, a Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi is that they don't need to press up as much on defense to make up for their lack of size. They already have a lot of size, like trying to drive on those guys is like you're just being basically, you know, like motion into a hug because of the amount of like, like between their wingspan and then their pace and their and like the length of their paces that they take they just cover a lot of ground, like, even, like, if they're just retreating. So if you're trying to attack those guys off the dribble um, or you're trying to shoot over them, uh, even, like, in, like, say you kick the ball out uh, to the corner and OG Ananobi's closing, instead of a hard closeout, if it's a softer closeout with a hand up, like, that defender, are they really willing to shoot it? Like, that's the whole point of having that wingspan is that you can close that gap out a lot sooner and still get a contest, right? So you don't have to be as up on them. You're less likely to get driven by. So like, that's the whole point of having these guys. And then if you need to play aggressive in certain scenarios, you definitely can. Like we've seen over the last few years, when the Raptors have the energy to run that hyper aggressive system, these players are able to do it for stretches. It's definitely something you want to have in your back pocket, but I don't see the need to have to play it all the time. And especially Mm -hmm. in a regular season where like the regular season, and the playoffs are completely different beasts. So, in the regular season, you kind of have to pace yourself a little bit better. And the Raptors have more tools uh, in terms of players that can play defense this year. Uh, now they probably go like their entire starting lineup minus Gary Trent Jr. is probably like very reliable defensively. Um, you just assume that Scotty's joining that group because he's shown it in flashes. And then on their bench, you've got Dennis Schroeder. You've got Jalen McDaniels. You've got Precious Achua who can show it in flashes like at very high levels. You've got Christian Coloco who's a solid one. Like you have a lot of defenders on this roster. So I think like even just playing it a little bit safer works for them, would work for them really well because they have the defenders capable of like they don't really have a guy you can really attack in a five-man lineup, mm-hmm. right? Like who, who do you pick to attack one-on-one on that team
0: that you feel I mean, really good about? Probably you attack Dennis, um, but I mean, that's just, you typically attack the smallest guy anyway. Um, But I think that the key is sort of like, first off, how connected are the Raptors defensively in in, in the help schemes? And again, that ties into how connected they are as a team. Like that's where you'll see probably the most connectivity, how strongly a team is bonded based on how well uh, they help each other on defense. Like I don't think it's a coincidence that like the vibes were like a- at its absolute peak in the nineteen twenty season, in the championship defense season. Even with Kawhi gone, um, they were, they seemed like such a cohesive locker room. And on top of that, when they play defense, like we had the, we had like like too much basketball. Shouts to him on, t- on on Twitter, Brad. Um, he had a whole YouTube channel just devoted after every game of like, look at this great help defensive sequence here. Look at this great, and it's like a ten minute highlight video just on defense. Alone, And it was like, wow, that team, not only was it a really good team, but it was a really great team defensively because they helped each other so much. So the togetherness has to be there. But I also think that like, yeah, you can try to pick on Dennis or whatever. That's okay. But at the same time, like, I, A, I don't think Dennis is a bad defender. And B, like, I think the team has the guys to help out. I think it's just a matter of how much do you help out. And like, to me, I, I mean... I, I want to see the Raptors, like, model their defense or structure their defense, at least with this upcoming season, more similar to, like, let's say the Milwaukee Bucks structure their defense. Now, the Bucks have some really, really great defensive talent, and their pieces really, really work together, and I, and I you know, and I know the Raptors are on that level. But at the same time, like, can I see guys playing in those types of roles, right? Can Yak play in the more Brooke Lopez type of role defensively, right? Now, Brooke, I would say, is more of an uh, option to block your shot, outright than yak but yak is very good defensively um and and positionally i think he actually a little bit more mobile than 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 brook now brook obviously is a better drop defender but you know you play a little bit more drop you you have like really long um and excellent wings along the back line like a Giannis, like a i don't know chris middleton i suppose uh but to a lesser degree for chris but like you know like a Giannis who's like waiting to help and rotate at the rim like that that could be pascal Right. Um, and again, I know Pascal is not as good of a defender as Giannis, but functionally can serve as a bit of a more similar role. But mostly you stay at home in the corners. You rotate over again to really provide help and really, really shut down the paint. You have a really pesky on ball defender. You know, I, I don't think Dennis is uh, anywhere close to Drew Holiday defensively. But then again, you can use OG in that similar type of role because they use Drew on like forward sometimes as well. Whoever is the most... uh threatening opposing like ball handler like you could tip you can use og in that same kind of role as well apply pressure be able to switch a little bit if you need to contain penetration but you still have really good point of attack defense like i don't know i mean i, I guess the other part too with the bucks is that they're also really great at defensive rebounding and i think the raptors have struggled with that in the past and, but and to, on that defensive be rebounding on that point phone.
1: just to just to be honest like just looking at pre and post all-star pre all-star the raptors defensive Rebound percentage was like seventy point seven. Post All Star, they jumped up to seventy three, and like for the month month of April at least, where they closed out the season, they were at like seventy six percent of defensive rebound. Like their defensive rebound percentage is seventy six percent, and that's where okay, that's a clear example. If you add a Yaku your defense feels a little bit more stable. You have a little bit more size. You have guys kind of playing. Um, you're less likely to be out of position. Mm -hmm. Um, in those lineups and the more conservative the Raptors play the more their size is inside the arc and rebounding and we saw this past season a lot of teams start going to the offensive glass a bit more Um, after like a trend of multiple years where people were cutting back on the offensive glass this season a lot of people uh, a lot of teams started hitting the offensive glass a lot more so to make that like defensive rebounding is really important it's always been an important part of a good defense And when you play a bit more conservative where guys are more likely to be in the same positions defensively, uh, possession to possession, you get more consistent uh, defensive rebounding because people are kind of more likely to be in good position for a defensive rebound than not, right? And I think it might just be as simple as that. Like if they go a little bit more conservative, you have enough size, you have enough room to like have your guards funnel to all the size that you have. And even talking about the Dennis Schroeder thing, Dennis Schroeder, uh, played on a Lakers team that had LeBron and AD, at their backline defenders, and they basically unleashed Dennis to be like, "Hey, pressure in the half court, press up on those, uh, press up on those guards as they bring the ball up, make them take a bunch of time, and then just in the pick and rolls, make sure you funnel your guy into the big man." And the Raptors have enough big, big guys on the back line that you can funnel guards into. So i th- I think they have the pieces to be a good defense for sure. And I would expect yeah. them to be personally, like if they aren't a good defense this year, that that is a massive letdown um, across the board.
0: I agree. I agree. And again, like I, I think drop coverage became less popular. Um, and I think a lot of that is just in response to the Warriors, in response to the teams getting better and better at shooting. But we got to be very clear, like the defensive principles remain the ex- exact same against the other 29 teams in the league. Take away the paint. First and foremost, rebound the ball for the defensive rebound, the ball, um, You know, take don't foul opponents, take away corner threes and live with contested top of the floor threes. And again, one of the stats I looked at for the Raptors was like they allowed the second fewest top of the above the break three point attempts, which I'm like, oh, that's good. But really, when you think about it, it's like that's not actually that good. Like you actually want your opponents to shoot more from those zones because a they shoot a lower percentage from there versus the corners and B, I think that's a sign of like less dribble penetration happening and they have to bail themselves out offensively by taking a pull-up 3, which again, if you're contesting them for most opponents, you should be good. Now, is that going to work in the playoffs and against every opponent? No. But in the regular uh, we're just talking about a regular season success right now. The top teams defensively last season, the Bucks, um, which is, you know, a drop coverage with essentially two bigs, a, a really one really great shot blocker and another really great sh- help shot blocker, the the Cavs who were in contention with the uh with the the Bucks for top defense, also a, a drop big and Jared Allen, and also a really good help defender and, and, and Evan Mobley, right? And like, so th- I think that strategy does work. Now, does that work all the time in the playoffs? Probably not. But like, I, I think regular season wise, that it, that is the Raptors do have a potential to a change their scheme. And I think that with the personnel they have right now, they should be a really good defense. And again, I agree with you. I'd be very disappointed. If, so that's that's the first break. All right, the Raptors. Improved to being a very good defense. I I don't care top five necessarily, but I mean like defense is a strength of the team again. The number two thing that needs to break right is that essentially I'm, I'm going to call this Scotty Ball. Scotty Ball has to work, or that Scotty Ball does work for this upcoming season. And when I mean by Scotty Ball is that like it's not that he's going to come in and average like twenty a game and eight assists and eight rebounds and and, and make an All Star team. Like that'd be ideal and that is certainly one potential outcome of Scotty Ball but i think what i what i'm thinking in terms of scotty ball is essentially the Vision 6-9 strategy and realistically the way the raptors are going to have to play is that if you're going to have scotty og and pascal on the floor at the same time for the most of your minutes one of those guys has a significant size advantage every single game like i there you'll struggle to find opponents that you're going to run into where they don't have somebody weak guarding them you know what i mean like Let's say, you know, like maybe not against the exact top teams, but let's say you play Cleveland, for example, right? One of those guys is going to be guarded by um, a Donovan Mitchell, for example. It's just in that starting five, like one of those getting guarded by Donovan Mitchell, one of them getting, who's, who's their starting three next year? Max Struess? Like Max Struess can be guarding one of those guys. So you have two guys that you have size mismatches against. So whether that's Scotty has the mismatch, whether that's OJ has the mismatch, whether that's Pascal has the mismatch, play through that mismatch as your primary source of offense in a half court, figure out ways that you need to attack those mismatches in terms of how you space out. But realistically, that is the driver. Like that's vision six, nine That's Scotty ball in terms of him being the main facilitator is that he can recognize where these mismatches are, deliver the ball to those guys. Or if he's the one who has the mismatch, he actively and consistently attacks that mismatch. As long as you do that, I think the Raptors offense, it's not going to be great But at least it should be functional enough where you can get a decent shot going down the floor, or at least one that makes sense. So, and I I think
1: a key is like when you're viewing Scotty Barnes, is understanding that who he is as a player, he's like you don't measure his impact by his box score. He's not that's not the type of player he is. So, like if you have a big wing who is a playmaker first, the way you have to like the way you measure how well they're doing isn't by like you know how many triples doubles they have or what like their final point total and all that is, it's more, Hey, what is their impact on the court? Like what are the impact metrics actually look like for this person? It's a reason why we can say like, even like, like at the smallest level is like Kyle Lowry as a point guard, there's not a single season where you would look at his stats and be like, Oh, he was like the best point guard in the league or one of the best point guards in the league. But he was for a large stretch of that, like one of the best like leaders of a team, that you could have to run your offense in the league because of the amount of impact and what Scotty Barnes does and what're going to be the keys to handing him the ball on offense is how well is he controlling the pace as you mentioned how how quickly is the ball finding the correct mismatches and making the right reads and making the right reads may not always end up in Scotty Barnes gets an assist like in the same way that hey if Scotty Barnes ends up with 12 assists but they're all just kind of like him dribbling around the entire clock and then spoon feeding a, an open three or spoon feeding a layup, and it's just oh I'm the last person to pass the ball to a bucket, that doesn't that may not lead to a co- cohesive offense as we see like you know like as good as Chris Paul is, we see at times where someone who has that controlling of a hand on your offense can kind of like bog down your offense a bit and limit it where it's like. Okay, we're not getting enough touches. The ball's not moving enough. It's getting stagnant. Versus, hey, maybe Scotty only has five or six assists in a game, but his pace, his decision making that he made completely changed the way the game was. Where he led to the, he made the pass that led to the open, to the pass that got the open shot. Right, mm-hmm. where it was his attack, like his drive in the paint that collapsed everything that led to the kick out and then the pass, pass, open three. Right, it's. Definitely more important to view him next season, not just on his stats. And I'm sure his stats will be good, just because he'll have the ball more and he's playing big minutes. Like he'll have good stats, but it doesn't like basic box score stats are not going to measure where, whether Scotty Barnes is having a good season or not. So, my biggest thing from him is like, hey, when like we noticed it in fourth quarters this season from time to time, we noticed it in his rookie season a lot, where he comes onto the court and he's just like magic in terms of like the activity that he creates and just the decisions he's making on the fly. And that's kind of what you want to see more of this season. So, but that being all said, like Scotty ball, like for what I'll, I'll say this quickly about the front office is like the championship is clearly like in, in the rear view mirror, like that's done the glow that's kind of come off. There's yeah. only one guy left on the team that really matters from that roster. Literally just one guy. From this point on, like, the front office is basically just at, like, they're starting at zero, like, in terms of, like, how to, eva- like, evaluate them. There, do you, there's not really much credit that I would personally be giving them um, beyond now results. So it's like, okay, if you're betting on Scotty Barnes and it doesn't work, then, you know, that's it. Like, I don't mind seeing, you know, someone else potentially lead the team. I could see them moving on to – different executives to lead the team. But that said, if you're betting on Scotty Barnes, you're really hoping it works. You've got guys who've actually put together a championship team in the past. So I think we've all seen the talent with Scotty Barnes. I don't see, like I can very much see Scotty Barnes being a very successful player for the Raptors and the Raptors being very successful under him. But again, it is a bet at the end of the day. And if it doesn't work out, like the team is now structured to work around him rather than not. So if he doesn't hit this season, it's going to be a bad
0: season. Yeah. This is why I have him as the second make or break. Like this is what the season hinges on. Number one, I think the hinges on the team defensively working, but number two, it hinges on essentially like Scotty running the offense working and Scotty running the offense is not going to look like Westbrook running the offense where he has the ball 90% of the time. Like it's, it's not going to be that style of player, but I think that the engagement level has to be high consistently. The energy level has to be high consistently. And again, like, you know that means him turning into a scorer as well um when, when the mismatch is on him and so again i don't really see why it couldn't happen because i've seen him do it before and i've seen him do it enough especially even against good defenders where it's like even if it's not a mismatch the aggression is there but yeah regardless like you know I, the idea of playing through the mismatch i think is gonna be really important because again like just thinking about traditional spread pick and rolls and other kind of stuff like it's probably maybe the easiest play to understand conceptually for most people um and myself included it's like okay you know you, you run a spread pick and roll and you got two shooters on one side and one shooter on the other side and you know depending on who else where you can try to make the passes out and, and get some open threes or hit the roller or you know ideally your pick and roll ball handler can shoot and also take it to the rim as well so you no know, those things are easier to understand but like i, I don't think pick and roll is going to be a strength for the raptors this upcoming season
1: and i don't even and, think it needs and, to be a strength for scotty barnes like it, if exactly you really want to conceptualize it we just saw Bam Adebayo and Nikola Jokic in the finals. And you could clearly see when they – like, Nikola Jokic is obviously, Dude's the sure. MVP. He's just next-level generational player. Yeah, I'm, I'm not just going to put a I'm ban on any,
0: any Jokic comparisons, man. That's,
1: that's, I'm not making that comparison. We might, why
0: don't we just compare to him Kawhi or Michael Jordan yeah, at this point? Like, you exactly. Know what I mean? like,
1: I'm not comparing him to that. Yeah. What I'm just saying is, like, there are other ways to understand how playmakers can be successful in the NBA. For sure, yeah. It's not just the Luka Doncic, James Harden types where you're running yeah. spread pick and roll from the top, as you mentioned. As a big guy, you can, in like Marcus All did a great job of it. Uh, Marcus All's is a great example of this, where it's like you have the ball a lot, you're at the top of the key, you're making all the passing decisions, you're setting a lot of screens, you're dribbling the ball a lot, and you have to make the decisions. It's your aggression matters, and that's why even when we had Marcus All in his, like, old age on the Raptors. There was a heavy difference between when Marc Gasol was playing with the right amount of aggression, yeah. and it was like, whoa. Like, this is, like, great. a magical yeah. hub. Like, this is incredible. Like, it just unlocks every other player as just, like, a straight-up weapon. And when he was hesitating and not playing with aggression, it was like, yo, I – like, he's playing great defense, but can we have him out there? Like, yeah. <laughs>
0: it that really was just came down series.
1: to is he making an open shot or not? And we saw that last season with Scotty, where there would be times where – He just wouldn't have his aggression. He wouldn't be, you know, actively trying to become a part of the play if he didn't have the ball. And he would just, like, sit in the corner. And then it really came down to, well, for the last 10 minutes, has Scotty's only use on offense been whether or not he can hit the open three at the end of the day? And that's where it's like, okay, now you're the guy. You have to show the requisite amount of aggression and effort every single time down. Like, you can't be passive anymore. And there's not really a role for that. And the thing is, when Scotty plays aggressive and his stamina's there and he's going all out, bro, he, he looks amazing. amazing. Yeah, he looks incredible. Absolutely. So it's just be that player, like go be great. Yeah. Just be great. Uh, and, I, and like, and the thing is, this player type, and I'll say this: like Bam Adebayo gets the same issue, right? Where when Bam plays aggressively, and it's like, whoa, he's taking a shot. He's like making quick decisions decisions in the DHO. Um, he's making quick passes. It's like, yo, he looks awesome. And then when Bam isn't aggressive, it's suddenly like you're just making jokes about him, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. And the entire timeline is lighting up. It's like,
0: really? This is the guy? Bro, it's the Celtics series versus... it's First off, it's like the games where they lost in the Celtics series versus the games that they won in the Celtics series outside of Game 7, which I, th- I thought Bam struggled in that one too. But like, but like... Versus like even in the finals, for example, Bam looks super aggressive, hyper aggressive all the time. Like he was the Miami's best player in the finals, I, I would say. Um, so... Yeah. I mean, like, again, like it's going to be a little bit of a struggle, especially for these guys who aren't like, like, I wouldn't say Bam was a natural scorer either. I wouldn't say Scotty's a natural scorer, but I think there is like, you know, there is enough of a playmaking talent and capability that I've seen over the course of two years that if he does it consistently, that's going to be there. And again, like this is probably a a, a thing for most young guys is not just necessarily – Um, having or learning the ability to do it for learning the ability to do it like literally every single night and improving your consistency like you don't even necessarily have to always improve your skill set which ideally you do but like you if you improve how consistent you are you're already getting better in terms of that performance and so again like there were games last season or quarters last season where I'm like it doesn't feel like Scotty feels like the responsibility of the game falls onto him and whether that's sort of like, oh, I don't like that Fred's taking over the game, or I don't like that Pascal's playing so much iso, like, you could say that. But now one of those guys are gone. Uh, and so there is actually, you can't just default against it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's not my night. I'm just going to have to, like, step aside and let other people run it. Like, the the Bucks stopping with Scotty this, this coming, coming season. And so that's, I think that's part of it, too. But that, that's more, like... I don't know. That's not necessarily. And on tactic. that specific note, on that specific note, yeah. Personally, I just think that's like a terrible way to put,
1: like approach basketball. If you're the best player on the floor, you can make your impact felt on or off ball. Like Nikola Jokic, at no point does anybody worry whether he's on or off ball because he's always impacting a play. Yeah. Where yeah. if you're off ball, guess what? You can just time your cut perfectly. You can go and seal like set a screen, get a switch. And then seal that guy in the paint and then call for the ball in the middle of the floor. Like, and those are things that when Scotty's engaged, he does all like really well and he's amazing. Mm-hmm. And when he's not engaged, it's suddenly like, okay, well, that's when you start seeing like, okay, there's a lot of passivity. Maybe you don't have a, the right hierarchy on offense, whatever it might be. But realistically, like at the end of the day, this is basketball. <laughs> Go play basketball. If you're the best player on the fold, you know, whether you're on ball or off ball, you should be doing what's best for your team to create advantages um regardless of who has the ball on the floor yeah. so that's and that's all i hope from from scotty next season is that he comes in knowing that the responsibility of the franchise is now on him at mm-hmm. a higher level and he applies his talents because he's so talented absolutely like, there's no like i legitimately there's no question about the talent of scotty barnes it's just the question of can he actualize it uh yeah. this next season or are we going to keep pushing it down a little bit more
0: yeah, again, this is make or break. So you know, no pressure, but uh, it's number two on uh, on the list. Uh, not to be th- clear, like it's make or break for the Raptors, not Scotty Barnes. Like Scotty yes. Barnes
1: pops off in season four or five, it's still great, but for next season, you really need him to pop off
0: a little bit hey, early. Man, listen, we need it to happen short term and long term. So yeah. you know, uh, yeah, uh, number three in terms of make or breaks on the upcoming Raptors season. So the Raptors have to successfully replace Fred on the aggregate, and I'm looking at Fred in two components. Okay. Look here, Fred number one, and I pointed this out in the free agency in the lead up to free agency, like why it was important for the Raptors if they lose Fred to bring in another playmaker, which they ultimately I did with Dennis Schroeder. But one of the things I was looking at it was like, yo, know, Fred was driving the ball 14 times a game, that was like a top 15 right in the league. And you, there wasn't an obvious candidate on the Raptors to take on 15 extra. Uh, drives per game or even 10 extra drives per game. There just wasn't, I didn't think we had the the, the capacity to that degree. Um, so I, I think a, you got to replace 14 drives and then B, you got to replace a guy who made three threes a game um, taking 8.8 attempts per game. Now, actually, I don't think you actually need to replace last year's version of Fred. We need to replace the twenty-one, twenty-two version of Fred where he was hitting 3.7 threes per game on 10 attempts per game. That's actually the Fred that we needed last season. And ultimately we didn't get it last season. So realistic. I'm not even looking to replace last year's Fred. I'm looking to replace all-star level Fred who was at again, making almost four threes uh, a game for you on 10 attempts per game on the drives portion. I think Dennis might actually have it covered to some degree. Dennis last season, even though he was playing on a team, which the Lakers were a mess all season, right? Whatever. until they got it together post all-star. But like, the Lakers also had a lot of offensive weapons, right? Like, Austin Reeves was a weapon for them. LeBron obviously is a weapon for them. AD is a guy who's going to play a lot, you know, um, every other night offensively and uh, dominate. So, like, there are other guys that were prioritized. And then, of course, they were playing with Westbrook for the first half of the season before the trade deadline. Um, Dennis still drove the ball 9.4 times per game in, in 30 minutes per game. That, it's and, like, And to be clear, like, yeah, they had other
1: good players, but... They're like if we talk about spacing, the Lakers had no
0: spacing. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so he's like, gonna be I'm not, ready, I, I'm and ready exactly. to play with the Raptors. Yeah.
1: So that's yeah, where exactly. I'm like, Dennis yeah. Schroeder should do really well. Also, just to talk about Dennis Schroeder really quickly, like one point that uh, I noted with him was when you looked at his possessions, his two best seasons were uh, the only the only two seasons where he really played a lot of possessions where he was nominally the shooting guard, were when his metrics, like, looked the best. Mm. Okay. So while he's a point guard, I think his main skills really are being a secondary playmaker or somebody you can play off of, like, a lead playmaker. Sure. He's a great cutter. Um, he has great activity. And he's, like, a perfectly solid catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. I'm not saying he's a knockdown three-point shooter, but yeah. solid catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. We saw shooter, him hit not- the game winner in that yeah. playing game. So, the two places he was able to do that was in L.A. and in OKC. And in both those seasons, he did really well. Uh, So, I think there is, like, I can understand the vision with Dennis Schroeder if, like, your bigs are handling the ball a lot more, Mm -hmm. where he might be a better off-ball fit just in general, uh, even if his raw shooting isn't the same. So, I do like the fit overall, but, like, it's against Dennis Schroeder. So, like, people don't want to give him too much credit um, as a player. But I think he's definitely a player who it depends much more on system and fit than it does just specifically on, like, his raw talents. Like, you can't just drop him on any team and he's a starting point guard.
0: No, no. But, I mean, I I think the OKC thing is also instructive because that was also when he worked with Darko. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe every coach – when they get hired, especially new head coaches, everyone's giving them tons of encouragement. Um, and obviously, when you join a team, you gotta speak highly of your coach anyway, because like that's your boss. Why you gotta go to the media and talk negatively about your boss? But like, I got a genuine sense of like, I think Dennis was really high on Darko. It seemed like Darko was a big reason why he signed in Toronto. I, the other big reason is he went from the making the minimum to making like making two million to making like thirteen million. That's pretty big. That's a big reason too. Um, and also there's a big opportunity here, but I also think that he was encouraged with the idea of working with Darko. We talked about it repeatedly, talked about sort of how Darko ran things in OKC, even when he was an assistant. So I think if nothing else, Darko was there on hand for Dennis's best season as a pro. Was that that year with the three-point guards with him, Chris Paul, and and Shea. And whatever, like he's not going to play with any other point guards really here in Toronto, but I, I do think that like, at least Darko's really got up up-close look at what would make him successful as a player. The other part of replacing Fred in the aggregate, which I don't think is so much replaceable in terms of the driving, is, so again, ideally, you're replacing 2021-2022 Fred, who is making 3.7 threes on 9.9 attempts per game. Let's just round that up to say four threes a game on 10 attempts per game. Last year, he's down to 3 attempts three threes made on eight uh, on 9 attempts per game, so whatever. 3-point shooting was a problem last year, obviously. Dennis, last season, even with other guys creating and, and playmaking, all that kind of stuff, he only made one three a game on three attempts per game. And that was right in line with his career average in terms of just like what he would typically do as a shooter. One of the things I think for him is he's not really a movement shooter for a guard, not really a pull-up shooter for a guard, at least from three. And he kind of has a st- like standstill, kind of almost a bit of a set shot which I feel like it makes him a little bit even tougher for him to get shots off. Plus, he's actually quite good at driving a closeout, so I actually would prefer him driving more closeouts than just shooting over a closeout. Regardless, you have, that does not come anywhere close to replacing. Our goal is to get three more threes on seven more attempts per game, and that's going to have to distribute based on the rest of the team. So, Asad, is there any sort of obvious candidate or some way that we can sort of magically make, again, Fred appear in the aggregate, um, right. in terms so, of the three-point shooting so the
1: first two is just like all right og and gary both like shot one less three a game last season than they did like in the prior two seasons okay, so it's okay. Like, all right both of them have to shoot more threes and i think like that was an issue with especially last season with og and gary kind of having like cannibalizing each other's looks where whereas like well it's either gary or og that's going to get the spot up look once mm-hmm. the help gets drawn uh so it's like hey you know, both of them are gonna have to shoot uh, a couple more pull up threes, maybe a game, or maybe they just get more spot up. Okay, can Each- can they
0: stop both both of them? Can they stop doing the one dribble mid range oh, pull up? Yeah, I think like Gary's that- better at it than OG, but like both guys, just take the damn three.
1: <laughs> it's it's one of those things where people are like, oh, they're adding the mid range to their game, and I'm no. like. Listen, like, your role is not to have the mid-range right now. Your role is to shoot the three, whether it's contested or not, and hit the three. So, like, if you're the three-point shooter in a lineup, I need you to shoot the three. I don't need you to pump fake into a mid-range because I got two other guys who are on ball who are already doing that. So there's, like, it's a great skill that you have. And when you're leading a lineup, like a bench lineup, go ahead and go to it. But when you're on a core lineup and your main role is I'm the shooter, I need you to play like the shooter. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it's a great, like, back pocket weapon, but you don't see people kicking the ball out to Clay Thompson and him, you know, he's shooting that <laughs> from three. Uh, he's not necessarily pump faking into a mid-range unless it's wide open every time. Like, you got to shoot some contested threes, and it might be an honest question. Like, maybe Gary and OG just aren't good enough at shooting contested threes. And that's something you're just going to have to find out. Bro, you've got to improve on
0: that. you got to improve no on that. There's no way around on that. There's no way like around those, it. Yeah. Your shooters have to do that. Uh,
1: whatever minutes Grady plays, like, he'll shoot some threes. If Otto Porter is healthy and no, on no, the team. No, 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 no. Uh, like Otto Porter these are did not make
0: the list of maker breaks, all right? I'm okay. just assuming he broke. Right, <laughs> he just broke? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry. And
1: then, uh, but other than that, like, the only way to really make up your three-point shooting, like, Jill, I will say this about Jalen McDaniels. Um, I did write a piece on him um, on uh, the sub stack I have with um, Iman Adin. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, pros, pros and claws. Mm. Substack.com, pros, P R O S E, and claws, C L mm. A W S. You see, wordplay, excellent. Anyways. Substack, man. <laughs> uh, I did it right uh, up there with the down. true hoop and Mark Stein one. Sorry, keep going, keep going. Straight up, honestly. It's it's honestly like exact same quality, if not better. Uh, but you can rate it yourself by subscribing for free, Eight. give it for free, free stuff. But yeah, I broke down Jalen McDaniels, and one of the things that's really interesting about him is he basically shoots the same percentage from all around the arc. Sure, it's like 30 okay. 34%, but he shoots the same percentage whether above the break or in the corners, which I just found interesting like from a general perspective. He also has been like an improving three-point shooter over his career and his free throw percentage has been improving over his career. And he shoots a lot of them. He's not like a he's not like when he's had a lot of games where he shot a higher volume of three when he's played bigger minutes. Mm. So, he's definitely a candidate I could see as being like like I wouldn't put him as like a Thad Young, Precious achua level three point shooter. So like I would, I think he's like a higher volume, but like a mid three point shooter at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So that's
0: fine though. As your backup three, that's fine. Our backup yeah. three last year was so, like Thad or like Delano sometimes, or I don't even. Like I don't a think I don't think Precious the Raptors was playing have a, three. Like to be like, clear, yeah. I
1: don't think the Raptors have a path to having as many like make up the like made shots, like the made uh-huh. threes from Fred. But they can definitely make up the attempts in a reasonable way. And it might just be like, hey, okay, we can't – we might not be have as much pull-up three-point shooting, but if we run our offense differently, we can create way more catch-and-shoot looks. So on the aggregate, it looks a little better. And, like, one way to do that is playmaking out of your bigs from the top of the key.
0: That's why uh, I said play through the mismatch. Scotty. Ball. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And you're playing through a mismatch, so then you're creating a lot. And we saw that a lot with – um especially – like as as stagnant as an offense got when it was just Pascal Siakam, Iso's. The reason that the pa- the Raptors lost a lot of games in January was not because Pascal Siakam. Pascal Siakam was going absolutely insane. In Iso just nobody was hitting a three off of his passes. Yeah, he was creating yeah. open looks and nobody was making them.
0: And well, that's the best guy to do that was is Gary. They need yeah. so the thing the thing with the Pascal Iso drives or the and not even isos, just like him attacking right. Is that the open shot is. Typically on the wing, not in the corner. Because it feels like Pascal likes to attack from the top or even just slightly left or slightly right. He likes to attack from there. And the help is generally from the opposite wing. And that's where the immediate shot is. It's not one of those swing, swing to the corner kind of things. I mean, who knows? Depends. Like, obviously, defenses can then, like, rotate up to the wing and then you have to make the next rotation into the corner. Uh, with the pass but like realistically the open pass most times is at the top of the floor and i thought fred did a great job of hitting threes on the catch and shoots with those two seasons ago last season i felt like fred could not hit the three off of pascal's passes to save his life and i i thought gary actually did a much better job as sort of like the catch and shoot guy to play on the wing right beside pascal when he attacks because again typically that's where the help is coming from it's not pascal gets help coming to him at the at the basket, the baseline of the defense, it comes from the first line of the defense. And so that's where guys like Gary and honestly, OG's gotta be a lot more shot ready with that too. But like again, just let that thing go. And yeah, don't I need you need both of them averaging like seven
1: threes a game. Like minimum. Where, which should be doable, man. Which is totally doable with the amount of minutes they play and like the looks that they're gonna get. And realistically, like last season was a down like OG Ananobi had like a normal shooting year at the end once it got to the end of the season. Yeah. But like not only did Fred have a down shooting or Gary had a down shooting year as well from 3 at least hmm. so if Gary rebounds to where he was the 3 season before then where he was like a 38 39% three point shooter um again he's really good at catch and shoot three point shooting so it's it's more like if you can create more of those type of looks for him he's going to be fantastic and playing off of Scotty and Pascal he should get a lot of those looks it's uh it's actually remarkable when you look at Gary Trent Jr's stats A lot of his threes are assisted by Pascal Siakam. And when he doesn't play with Pascal Siakam is when he's played some of his worst minutes for the
0: Raptors. So So I'm not saying he's a Pascal merchant, but like he's a Pascal merchant and he should be (laughs) in the starting lineup on that basis alone.
1: And guess what? Being a Pascal merchant is fine because Pascal Siakam is the best player on the team and is going to play a ton of minutes. So you yeah. want to have Pascal merchants on the team.
0: Well, um, again, this is all contingent on him not getting traded. But again, we are for one episode of the Raptor show in this episode. Or I'm doing the in this house. We in this episode, we are not trading Pascal Siakam or even yeah. hypothetically. And quite right frankly, even if he got traded on paper.
1: even if he got traded, you still need the exact same type of player uh, playing off of Scotty Barnes anyways. Yeah, so exactly. it doesn't make a difference.
0: No, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, so that so I, I guess our answer is we replace Fred's three point shooting in the aggregate with OG and Gary shooting more. Ideally, honestly, Scotty and Pascal shooting a little bit more too. You know what I mean, yeah, like, I, those, I don't so, want I don't want any pull up threes from either of those guys, but catch <laughs> and shoot threes, like why not? If you it, honestly, if you're gonna say, say Jaden McDaniel's is gonna shoot, shoot a catch and shoot three, why don't those guys shoot a catch and shoot three? Like, I will say not this not about Pascal. Bad. Pascal ended
1: at, like, what, 32.4% from three last season? But if you look at his chart, it was, like, he was, like, rocking at 34, 34.5% up until, like, the last two months of the season.
0: Oh, yeah. When
1: it just fell off a cliff. And I don't think it's um, – it would not be a shock to me if the, the reason that he got bad at the one thing that requires the most amount of energy uh, – he didn't have the energy for when he was playing like 38 minutes a night. That's fair. That's fair. So I do think like him playing like a reasonable amount of minutes, even like a couple minutes less might make up for a more normal shooting year from him. Cause like, there's no reason why he can't shoot 34 to 35% from three on like a reasonable diet of looks.
0: Mm. Okay. That's yeah, I agree. I agree. And then honestly, whatever three Scotty gives me, I'm going to take it as a bonus. And, but I, I do expect him to take those. And, you know, we will see. I think Nick also came in with expectation last year and it kind of was there, but it kind of wasn't. Who knows? Ultimately, that is the end goal. So why not we just start doing it now before we hit the end goal anyway? But if we're going to be completely honest, you're not really replacing all the three point shooting on that team. Uh, And on last year's team, might I say, and everyone already knows this as a Raptor fan, was already deficient on three point shooting. So we're starting to hit like, you know, rocky rocky waters on this boat. Next one, sensitive topic from last year. So this is the fourth Maker break. My thing is just, can the clutch performance regress in a positive way? And this is what I, and this is really, honestly, sometimes when I think about this last season, my lasting impression is just how many times the Raptors managed to lose games in a creative way. And I was like, half the React pods was like, all right, guys, this is what happened on the Raptors game today. They lost it in your way. It was D'Angelo Russell won the game on a rip-through foul. We saw a game lost because Nick Nurse mismanaged his timeouts. We saw a game lost because, oh, the, the the official told Nick Nurse that he had a challenge, but he didn't have a challenge, and therefore he burned a timeout. Oh, we saw a game lost because, uh, you know, DeMar, DeMar's daughter was screaming on free throws, and they missed half of them on the whole game. Like, they found ways to lose game in, game out, and it was always crunch time games that they lost. And I was thinking about it, and I was like, last year the Raptors were 19-25. and 25. In, in, in crunch time scenarios. So essentially, it was within five points uh, in the last five minutes. In those games, the Raptors were 19 and 25. Compared to the season before that, the Raptors were 26 and 19 in clutch scenarios. The Raptors were one of the worst teams in the clutch last year. And the team before that, they were literally the second best team in the clutch. And that doesn't make sense to me. That was actually mostly the same roster. So to me, I'm thinking, is clutch performance not just like Look, obviously there are certain players like a Kawhi Leonard who give you everything you ever want in crunch time, that security, that execution, and everything is great. I'm not discounting that factor whatsoever. But can we also acknowledge the fact that clutch performance might have a huge degree of variance? Because there's no reason why the 2021-22 Raptors were one of the clutchest teams in the league, and last year they were one of the worst. That doesn't make sense to me, with largely the same personnel.
1: Again, like clutch performance, like you're already talking about when you're looking at clutch games or games that are like literally like one or two possession games. So it's, if you miss a a single three is a make instead of a miss or a miss instead of a make, or like you miss an open layup, which happened twice. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Right, right, right. Oh my God. Like these are, these are things where it's just like, yeah, like there's really no like way to explain it other than, that's just bad luck. It sucks. Um, there are other things where it's like you can kind of look reasonably like okay, maybe the player doesn't have the juice. That's narrative stuff, I would say. But like okay, maybe they don't. Like maybe this player is not being as aggressive in the clutch as they would. Like Pascal Siakam is definitely uh, less reliant on his mid range jumper in the
0: clutch than he is um, in the first. Quarter he early earlier the in the game, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is That's like f- totally fair. He, totally has to fair. Get, he has to get way better at getting. Yeah his stuff off and in crunch time in the same way that he does in the first quarter. There's, and it's not even about excuses.
1: Yeah. But it, in a single game that goes to a clutch, if your starters have played 39, 40 minutes, you should expect them to close out. Like they should be able to close it out. If every night is going into clutch zone and they're playing 40 minutes every single night. Hmm. Like, I'm sorry. Like there is like physical limitations to the human body. You can't be asked like, I'm looking at this stretch from Pascal Siakam when he, he came back from a groin injury. Oh, yeah. The first four games, they had him at, like, 30 to 33 minutes. And then December 5th hits, and this is, like, the stretch where the Raptors lost a ton of game. Mm-hmm. From December 5th to basically, uh, what was this, January 12th or whatever. I'm just going to grab it real quick. He played 39 minutes, 39 minutes a night, shot 47% from the field. from three was incredible. 27 points a night. And the Raptors lost by six, lost by four, lost by 12, lost by one, lost by three, lost by 16, lost by 13, lost by 11, lost by 13, lost by eight, lost by three, lost by four. He's playing 40 minutes a night. Like if, if your team is just like, if you're in close games, your best players are all playing 40 plus minutes. Maybe there's a reason why their jump shots aren't working at the end of that game, yeah, because yeah. they're just more tired than the other team. Maybe that's totally. why they're fouling more often at the end of games than the other team because they're just too tired to keep playing defense the same way mm. and like it, that's not a reasonable excuse for a single game, but it's definitely a reasonable excuse when you go an entire month playing the exact same game over and over again with the same level of fatigue yeah it's yeah. it's like if you're basically handicapping yourself. Uh, in your clutch performances. where you are just like, we're never going to approach a clutch performance where, hey, maybe our best player is coming into this uh, having only played 30 minutes. Because, hey, the thing about Kawhi Leonard being incredible in the clutches, he also only plays like 32 minutes a game when he was doing it. So he's coming in, checking in for the final six minutes of the fourth quarter, fresh as a daisy, and ready to go. His legs are primed, and he's cooking. So there's a reason why uh, his clutch numbers over the aggregate are going to look incredible. Of course, he also pulls it off in games where he plays forty-seven minutes against the Sixers and hits a bucket, at, you know, like the greatest shot in NBA history. But
0: that was the greatest
1: brick in NBA history, bro. Yeah, but those the, are the best. Those are ever. like we we can say that that's legitimately luck, though, right? Like that, that was a that hard break, bro. In,
0: yeah. That shot we, we going all in know is that. luck. Yeah. Yeah. So, like
1: a piece of clutch is definitely luck. But then there's also things that aren't helping you. So managing your players' minutes better um, and having more players to rely on on your team over the length of 48 minutes to be able to get your players there with less minutes on their body is definitely important. And for whatever it's worth, yes, the Raptors lost Fred VanVleet, who also shot very poorly in the clutch and was also averaging 40 minutes a night basically during that stretch in any of those games. You replaced him with two players that you can play 25 to 30 minutes on a given night if you need to. So even if you lose talent there, you are adding – more minutes and more bodies that can play, like, play good minutes for you. So when, you know, you go to your bench and suddenly it's Precious Achua, Chris Broussaint, Fat Young, who step in, and they blow twelve a 12-point 12 lead in the span of a minute and a half, which, if you remember that Lakers game, Precious Achua checked in for, what, six minutes in the third quarter and the game was over? Like, the lead was gone? Uh, don't forget Will Barton, man. Yeah, like this is (laughs) – that's where it's like, hey, the Raptors are definitely coming into the season with a bit better roster balance, even if maybe their top-line talent might not be the same as it was last year. But if you're looking for positives, if you're looking for ways that the clutch performance can improve, definitely not being at minute 38 with four minutes left in the quarter is a good starting point. Because if you're – all five players – that you have on the court and like we saw this in the chicago game in the play-in how fresh did chicago's guys look guys look in the final three four minutes versus the raptors guys who have basically played that entire quarter or just gone like insane and chicago was just going free throw line free throw line free throw line during that span because the raptors could not stop fouling yeah so chicago's minutes were a lot easier than the raptors minutes the the minutes that the raptors guys had played up to that point where they had literally fatigued out and there's yeah. a lot of reasons why they lost that Chicago game. Again, missing 18 free throws.
0: I, I have to it's like They a, didn't do that in any other game all season. We could say like the Raptors we aren't like an excellent three point shooting or free throw shooting team. It's exactly. It's nearly impossible. <laughs> they missed 18 free throws in a one possession loss. Yeah. So, hey, I, you know, it's
1: all for the better. You now have Grady Dick, which, you know, you hope is the best player in the draft or the best player, at least in the teens of that draft. He looks like the best golfer in this
0: draft. Have you seen his golf swing? Yep. There's like a little Bleacher Report video where like he went to Top Golf um, with uh, Anthony Black and Jerris Walker, and yeah, I mean Grady looks excellent at golf, uh, just even independent of being an NBA player. And the other two guys were like doing mini putt essentially. So, um, you know, is, is that giving you reassurance? I, I, I doubt well, it. Well, but... as we
1: know, the best the best shooters are also really good golfers. Uh whether it's steph curry whether it's ray allen uh
0: sure yeah yeah. you know so not not clay though Uh, yeah this is the most golf i've watched personally because i've been watching a little bit of the highlights of like again like nba news any nba offseason hits you hard every every summer especially a guy like me who like literally does this as a job where it's like oh okay all right so i'm gonna stay on top of nothing you know what i mean so like yeah i will watch steph play golf versus travis kelsey and uh and, and Patrick Mahomes um, and yeah, you know, Clay looked horrible in that one, but regardless, uh, I, I think part of what we're saying in the clutch thing too, because again, like I, I, I can't stress this enough. The Raptors, the pretty much the exact same team went from 26 and 19 in clutch to 19 and 25. That is a six game swing in just the standings alone. And okay, the Raptors and what last was their season, record last season. It was 48 yeah. and then 41. Like, <laughs> That almost by itself explains the entire variation of the whole season. Now, of course, you can put in all the other stuff. I agree with all the other stuff. But sometimes it really does come down to, like, just how do you execute better? And listen, we can have a conversation, probably on a definite episode. Well, especially when the season happens, two months from now, where it's like, who should have the ball in crunch time? What should they be running in crunch time? and. You know, I think there's a real case to say, like, look, Scotty has the best numbers in crunch time right now. How do we orient the offense to look more Scotty focused in crunch time in the fourth quarter? I also think there's a discussion in terms of lineups. Are we going to close with Gary at at the two-spot? Are we going to close with Dennis, essentially, at the two-spot? But I think the other bigger thing, too, is, as you're mentioning, like, if you want to play less crunch time minutes or you want to play less, like, overall minutes so that your guys are playing fresher when it comes down to crunch time, that means you need a more stable bench. And to me... I know Dennis said in this press conference that, you know, maybe he, you know, he 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 could start. I don't know, man. I don't care who thinks who could start in July. Like Chris Paul thinks he could start in the Warriors. That's not happening at least not in a sustainable way. But to me, what makes the most sense is I've seen games in the last two seasons where Fred has been missing where Pascal and Scotty are the main playmakers. It looks okay. It it it's not like exceptional, it's not game-breaking, but it looks okay. And so you put Gary with that group. I've seen that work. I've seen that work on on a multiple levels. Um, What I have seen not work is Gary as your sixth man coming off the bench. Um, His numbers suffer. The team's numbers suffer because he's never going to pass the ball in that scenario. And what I have seen before is Dennis Schroeder in multiple NBA settings has been a very successful contributor off the bench. And so if you can have Dennis essentially running your second unit so that you're not cratering every time you go to the bench, then all of a sudden you can afford to play these guys less minutes. You know what I mean? So that's another make-or-break kind of thing. But again, that's, those are discussions we'll have in the course of the actual season itself. I, I just think at some point, clutch performance, like, yes, I agree it's a it's a skill issue for Pascal, but I also think it's just like a luck issue. Like, so much luck goes into crunch time that uh, I'm just hoping that... It, even if the Raptors are an average crunch time team, let's say the Raptors, instead of being 19-25 and 25 in crunch time last year, they were, what, 22-22? and 22? That puts the Raptors already at 44 wins. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's so... I mean, I'm not saying the analysis is that simplistic, but I also think that, like, crunch time can be very noisy. So my fourth thing is just crunch time regresses positively. The My fifth thing, and I want this, I'm going to present it to you as a, a multiple choice, okay?
1: but Actually, essentially, sorry,
0: one second before we get ahead, to the ahead. fifth thing.
1: Just because I know people go, well, you can't just assume that crunch time games. Maybe it's like the Raptors are more likely the crunch time team that they were last season than the season before. I'm just going to count the three. I'll, I'll count three games that you could just say flip the other way. Kyrie Irving, before he blew up the new, uh, the Brooklyn Nets, hits a game winning three on us. And mm-hmm. then everything goes to hell like a week later. Scotty Barnes misses a wide-open layup against the Atlanta Hawks that would have won the game. Yep. Gary Trent Jr. blows a wide-open layup against the New York Knicks that would have won the game.
0: That's already um, three. That's already three games. Too, yeah. yep, yep, yep. That's already three
1: games. I don't even have to mention any more, to be honest, because that already gets you to, what, 44 wins? It gets right. you halfway there. And those sure are skill issues ones.
0: because you can't tell me that Scotty can't make a layup or that Gary can't make a layup. You know what I mean? So, like, I'm not saying that, like, stuff happens, but, like, yeah, stuff happens, man. This is a PG podcast, apparently, so can't swear like I used to. But anyway, um, the, the fifth thing, right, is just in terms of the make or breaks, is just one of the young guys click to a different level. And so I'm going to give you a multiple choice. And maybe you could maybe you can select multiple answers that apply. OK, but uh, A is Gary starts playing defense again. All right? So that's that's A. B, Precious buys into a role that he wholeheartedly buys into a role that serves the team. Okay, that's B. C, Grady is actually immediately playable, probably like 15 minutes a game off the bench, but Grady is immediately playable and not like, let's just say he's a net neutral as a rookie. All right? Um, and then D is Christian stops fouling everyone and is actually able to stay on the floor. So I want you to tell me which ones you think actually will happen, because I need one of the young guys to click for All more depth right. off think, the roster.
1: I think a better way maybe is just to rank them. Okay, uh, sure. Yeah, I think number one of those four is, I think, Precious Achua. I, Precious Achua works way too hard going into his final season on his rookie deal. To not be able to find a role and stick to it.
0: Hmm.
1: And we've seen him find a role and stick to it and look incredible. And I think that he approaches the game like too professionally off the court, like in terms of how hard he works and how he approaches the game of basketball, to not be able to find that. I, I think agree. that he's a hard worker. The, like the skills he has physically, like where he gets into trouble is when he has to actively make decisions with the ball. And if the Raptors run an offense where, they're moving the ball handling to a Scotty, a Pascal, uh, sorry, the playmaking to a Scotty, Pascal, Yaku from the top of the key. And Precious Chua. all he has to do is focus on cutting and setting a screen and hitting the paint hard. I think like there are a lot of players that are, that have been on the Grizzlies the last two years that have played that, you know, have similar, you know, size and skills as Precious Chua has, and they've played very successfully. And I think that he can have a role that he can really perform well in because he's just too athletic to, and too, works too hard at his game not to be able to do that, and we've seen him do it. Mm. So I think working in a system that's not Nick Nurse's system where it's like, Yo, you better hit that corner three or else I don't know what to do with you, mm. um, will help him a lot. So that's one. The next one I think is uh, I think Christian fouls less this season. In general, I think if you're playing, if we, if you know the Raptors play a more conservative system, it should just make things easier for Christian. Uh, also, I just think that getting one of the Christian's biggest problems last season was just that he was just too like, he just looked like a rookie, like size wise, like physically. Yeah. An entire season of NBA gyms and working out, you hope that he just comes back a little bit bigger and stronger, doesn't get pushed off and pushed off his spot to bad position as much. So then he has to foul less. So I think that's very doable. A lot mm. of that's position-based. And also now it's like before Christian Coloco was working out with Jamal McGlure and the coaches, now he's had the ability to work with Yaka Pirtle every every night or every day or in every practice, which is for what it's worth, I think Christian Coloco and Yaka Pirtle are very much like that is a career path that Christian uh, can follow is Yaka Pertl's career path. It's very doable for the skill set that he has. Uh, Then third, I would put Grady Dick. I think Grady Dick being playable. I think it's a bit of a long shot just because I don't know if his fitness is there. I think his body's a little bit behind. He's still really young physically. Mm. So I think maybe like midseason he can start playing like regular minutes. I think the offensive skills are there. I just don't think his fitness level in terms of stamina and his defense is really there to be able to bang with NBA players. Mm, that's fair. and then last I'll just put Gary playing defense I'm sure he could play defense <laughs> I'm just not gonna bet on that because like whatever I don't think he needs to play defense like at a high level why no I no no everybody I needs he to play needs defense bro no, no. that's not everyone needs to, to play defense I don't think he needs to play defense at a high level he doesn't need to be the league leader in steals and a defensive stopper I just need him to not bro I love make when he was those mistakes did you not enjoy when was doing need, that not 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 fully I gotta be honest like a lot of those deals were just like because he was still fouling a lot while getting those deals like it wasn't like it was needless gamble still i would rather him just be more sound defensively than him be like a
0: lockdown oh he could be sound defensively then he's just a regular size nba player being sound defensively guys shooting over him or going be, around him like yeah, actually I, I don't i don't mind if he's like gambling for the ball as as much you know like like that'd well, be great actually, if he can pull do it off that would be saying? great i, I just mind, think it's i just think it's the least likely to happen that's fair that that's that's fair that that is absolutely fair um yeah if, if i had to rank them my thing with the precious and christian thing like I, I i wholeheartedly believe in their talent but i also think as young guys you have to decide like who you want to be in this league and i think every young guy comes in the league with like well not every but like most young guys come into the league with like star aspirations like if you were be able to give like grady some true serum he'd be like am i going to league to be reggie miller and like realistically he's not gonna be reggie miller bro but like because just the, the odds are stacked against them um to be like literally one of the five greatest shooters of all time um but i think that's like the level of belief that these guys have and like just like in life like reality is going to hit you in the face at, at, at certain points to be like look you are not him or like you are not going to live up to every single thing that you come into when you think about who you're going to be at, when you're 20 years old um But at the same time, you have to think about, like, in a more practical way, like, what are the things that are going to be useful for you? Like, for Precious, I admire that he wanted to play like a playmaking wing. I admire that, again, you give Precious some truth to him, he'd probably tell you he he thinks his future in this league is like a Giannis type. You know what I mean? Like, And we all know that that's not really what is most likely going to be the outcome for him. But you have to decide, like, what is actually going to, A, get you paid. (laughs) And B, like, what's going to work in terms of contributing towards wins for this specific team? And that's what coaching is going to have to come down to. That's what management is coming down to. And also on an individual level, you have to decide and be realistic with yourself. Like, for a guy like Christian, yeah, he just only played one year. He's got, uh, you know, two years left on his contract. But honestly, if you've been around and you saw, like, Delano and what happened with Delano last two years, like, Delano also showed promise lana was also like hey maybe he could do this and he also played some backup minutes it was intriguing and boom what happened after two years the guys now in boston with like a partial guarantee with no guaranteed future to be in the league even as of next season right so like you need to find your way in this league much quicker establish yourself as like this is what i do this is why i should get paid this is why my coach should play me right and it i'm not saying like screw your dreams but like you gotta at least figure out what's gonna keep you paid and employed first and foremost, and then build off of that one skill. And yeah, so, if Precious Christian, Christian could figure that out, Christian, I think has a clearer path. I think because I think Christian obviously would decide. Jakob just
1: got paid four eighty. By the time you get to that point, you could be getting paid like four one twenty. So I'm saying. And for Coloco, like we saw last year, Coloco was fantastic on defense. Like his biggest issues are fouling. His uh, biggest issue was that enough. he was
0: liable to commit three thousand six minutes. That was aside from it. that, he was okay. He, he was, was actually fantastic, pretty good as a for rookie. rookie. Like, yeah. yeah i agree yeah so again so there's already that skill set to to, to to keep you in the league and you can build towards that for precious i think is more undefined yeah i think definitely precious when he has the ball he's like all right it's go time and sometimes he'll show you something amazing like some sort of in and out dribble and then he just needs like a step on his man and then he's obviously the best athlete on the team like i don't even think it's that close to be honest and he's just able to explode and it looks amazing that happens once in every 10 tries. And it doesn't matter how amazing that looks. No coach is ever going to give you 10 attempts to do that again if it's only going to deliver once. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what you're going to get minutes based on is when he can really rebound. Like, I love Precious's rebounding. For a guy who's actually undersized playing center a lot of the time, and I do think Christian and Precious kind of cannibalize each other's ability to sort of get on the floor, considering I think both their positions are best at center. But, like, Precious can be a great rebounder. It's not a surprise for me when Precious ends a game with, like, 12, 15 rebounds. Like, there was that Precious, game against Miami. He got 22 rebounds. You know what I mean? Precious like, is so athletic that, like, if you just added,
1: like, three feet to each side of the court, he, he might be, like, one of the best <laughs> NBA players in the league. He's just too athletic for the size of the court where it's just, like, you see him sure, start yeah. running and he's, like, oh, I have to slow down. I have already reached the, like, out of bounds. And it's, like, man, like, that guy's so athletic. If he can just find a way to just – and that's one of the things where it's, like, please just find, like, your role. Cause if you can like use that athleticism in short spurts, like he should be a dominant cutter. Like with his strength uh, yeah. and his speed, there is no reason why he shouldn't be like one of the best cutters in the entire league.
0: Right. Yeah. That's that's totally fair. Um, I don't know how to rank these four. I mean, I I if two of them happen for the Raptors in terms of Gary starts playing defense again, Precious finds a role that works. Grady immediately playable, and Christian stops fouling people. If two of those four breaks, I actually I feel pretty good about the season. Uh, but I cannot say with like even more than 50% confidence that any of these four will happen. <laughs> so, yeah. And and like Gary playing defense, like, just do it. I I, I I don't know what to say. Like, it's it's not like he doesn't read the play, you know. what I mean, like, there's certain guys where I'm like like, like, I hate to always pick on JB in this way, but like, guys, when I was like, when they, like, oh, they're gonna put JB in a pick and roll again. I'm like, okay, he just can't move his feet well enough, and even his awareness isn't great enough that he's gonna be like not a liability in this scenario. There's nothing you can really do about that other than just substitute other guys in, right? With Gary, like. Yeah, he has physical limitations, but it's not like he's not aware of what's happening. It just sometimes feels like he's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, that's and maybe it just comes down. It's to not optional. Maybe
1: it may comes down to decision paralysis, right? Where it's just like, what do you mean decision? What? No. Where it's like, oh, am I supposed to switch here? Am I supposed to hedge? Am I like what? Is, maybe if you're playing a simpler scheme, it's easier for him, where he just kind of knows what he does and he can kind of fall through with it. Where like his offense, where he's just kind of like, I know I'm going to make this move, make this step back, it's going to create this space for me. I'm going to get a shot off. Or when in catch and shoots, like maybe he just needs it like his defensive role simplified a little bit more. That's and fair. then it's easier for him to manage than, hmm. you know, having to manage like, oh, am I playing the two or the three or the one right now? Am I the person who's supposed to be uh, the help here or not or what it might be? Like maybe if it's a little bit more simpler, there's less switching, he's not constantly trying to figure out who he's guarding and what. Maybe that makes it easier for him. I'm Again, these are just like possibilities yeah. um, to make this – Uh, thing that could happen i personally again ranked it as the lowest rung because i just yeah that's i think at some points you know players are what they are and when you're that good of a player offensively like there's just a lot of offensive first players in the league that you know the best they can do
0: defensively is
1: you know try not to hurt you
0: hey uh, yeah well i mean you know again i i just think it shouldn't be optional like it's like You know, like when your boss tells you, like, hey, I expect you to come into work at 9 a.m. Like, you know, you can't show up every day at 930 and be like, sorry, guys, I just didn't get it done today. It's like, no, man. Like, it's just you just do it. Like, you know, and and that's yeah, just just do it. Uh, Play defense. okay. And then last thing for me in terms of the make or breaks, this is the sixth one. And again, I I think these are they become less and less likely. So um, at this point, I think this is just like what will probably be best for the roster is just another roster balancing trade. And so, you know. I don't want to pick on Chris. I think Chris is actually probably the most productive bench player, unless you put Dennis on there, and I think Dennis is. But, like, you know, Chris obviously is a very good bench player um, who has contributed really positively. If he's stuck around on the team, I have no issues with that. I think it's just a little awkward because you're definitely trying to develop both Precious and Christian. And so, if you're also playing Chris, then one of them is playing three, which uh, now you're forcing Precious to have the ball and try to attack a little bit more, which, uh, you know, iffy. Or you're not playing one of them, which is also a problem. Um, Make a roster bouncing trade. Can you get anything? Does anybody want an expiring auto? You know what I mean? Can we attach a second round pick to auto to get like the line right from the Wizards? Is that something they were willing to do? Probably won't. They'll probably wait till the, you know, Uh, trade deadline to see if there's anybody else with a better offer for the lawn but if there's nothing else you got an expiring auto for the lawn like that could work well for the Raptors or maybe you say you flip Chris Boucher into one of those guards that probably can shoot a little bit playmaker I just think I just want one more guard that I can feel confident in because like you know there's like a couple other irons that the Raptors have in the fire right now in terms of like oh, uh, you know, Javon Freeman-Liberty is, is on a two-way or, like, Marquise Noel is on a two-way. Um, you know, you have Jeff Dowden Jr., who apparently signed a $0 guaranteed contract. What does that even mean? You might as well not sign a contract at that point. But regardless, as Blake Murphy reported, that even though Jeff Dowden has signed a, I believe, a, a two-year deal, it's $0 guaranteed, and he actually gets half of the contract guaranteed if he makes the team out of training camp um jeff Doughton is the real face of loyalty all right Dave move aside this man has literally been working out in the raptors gym every single day whether that's when grady was announced whether that was when darko was announced whether that was in summer league when he was in the ballroom working out every single day and i saw with my own two eyes at all these events meanwhile they gave him zero dollars guaranteed bro that's yeah some a-
1: players have no trade clause the only clause in jeff Doughton's contract is a love of the game clause Bro,
0: He's they couldn't even basketball. give him a little partial guarantee for trading for like come to training camp. Like, that's wild, man. Yeah. If but I, I just so, down, I would save all the hotel soaps. You know. So like, looking
1: at the Chris Boucher thing quickly, like again, and this is where it comes down to like the Raptors have a roster with a lot of young guys that they're like invested in. So yeah. Scotty, Gary, OG, Pascal, Pirtle, Schroeder, those six guys are playing every night, no matter what. Yeah. How how deep is your rotation going like with real minutes? Let's say nine nine or ten nine or ten minutes, right? No, 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 not ten. Just nine. Just, just nine. Just just nine? nine. So We're you not got ten, man.
0: So we've already we got six the, guys. You already got
1: that. six you've already got six guys. Okay. You have Jalen McDaniels, who you just signed. Mm-hmm. You've got Grady Dick, who you just sank a first round pick into. Yeah. You've got Precious Achuo's on the last year's uh of his contract and has been effectively a sixth starter for you for the last two seasons. And then you have Christian Coloco, who was, like, a fantastic bench pick for you and effectively is, like, a bench Yaka And then you have Chris Boucher. Of those five guys, pick three.
0: Uh, I mean, okay, I, I don't think McDaniels, if he comes into plays minutes, is going to be appreciably better than Chris. But I also think that, like, you have now signed a player on the biennial exception, so, we're talking about like 4.5 a year versus you're paying Chris $11 million, but they probably give you similar production. So, again, and like McDaniels is 25 and
1: Chris I, I don't, I don't even
0: care about the age. I mean, whatever. Chris doesn't play like a 30 year old or 31 no, no, year old. No, no, I know, but like, yeah, when you're talking about investment. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's fair. Listen, that's how these, that's how, you know, I I, I hate to say that, but this is how things are going to operate. Obviously, like Thad, I mean, Thad, Thad's just in the locker room, you know. And 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 I, I think it is important to have a locker room guy, but I mean like you know. Oh my god, you, I
1: didn't even put that on this list. I yeah. thought he was on
0: the roster. <laughs> no, no, no. You come on, man. Remember when I Thad wrote was out not, the
1: entire roster? And I did not know Thaddeus
0: was still on the roster. No, I don't jump down sick looking at that, being like, <laughs> "Yo, that's eight hard guaranteed million dollars of cash." Meanwhile, I got zero dollars guaranteed. Bro, not yo, know, you couldn't even give him 500K, like five hundred k, like just fifty k or something. Like, uh, anyway, regardless. Um, but yeah, like you know. You have that, I don't even know, man. That's the thing. Like, that's that's one of the issues with the Raptors bench. And that's probably the issue with the Raptors bench. Like, how do you play all these forwards together in a cohesive way? I think having Dennis with that group is good already. Like, that already solves, I think, like, I don't know. If Dennis actually buys into the bench role again, that solves like half your bench issues. I am not even kidding. Like, to have an yeah. actual playmaker off the bench is something the Raptors have just have not had, period, in the last three years um, since they promoted Fred to the starting group. But, like, yeah, like, who else really fits with that? I think it really depends on. Um, yeah. So, like, either you're know. making a, you're, you're I don't picking, know. How to pick.
1: You're picking one of Precious, Coloco, or Boucher if you're saying the McDaniels and Grady play, or you're saying Grady plays, one of Precious and Coloco plays, and then one of Boucher and McDaniels plays. And it really might just come down to can Boucher hit a three ball at like 40%, 38 like, at like, because Chris Boucher always has two two seasons. He has the part of the season where he can't hit a single three, and then he uh, has the part of the season where he's just unconscious from three and hitting everything. So which one do you get? And, again, Chris Boucher might also be amazing in a system that requires a lot of cutters. Uh, so the only thing is that I think if you, instead of had Chris Boucher, had a guard who could shoot, that'd be fantastic. Mm. Um, I just don't know if – Yeah. That's that's the question at the end of the day. Is like, I just don't – Chris Boucher really does seem like the odd man out unless you're saying that we're not going to play our first-round pick many minutes this season. <laughs> we're not going to pick the guy that we uh, signed to a two-year deal much this season at all. We just hard-capped ourselves. When no I reason. played
0: a guy who on draft night everyone was like, hey, we love his immediate impact. And it's yeah. like, well, you can't impact you're on the bench, man.
1: And the, worst, yeah. the thing is, of that group, Coloco is probably the one who like played the best last season like on the whole.
0: Yep, yep. He so, might get squeezed. <laughs> but uh, again, like, I'm not even looking for, like, some sort of, like, spectacular return. Like, I I think I'm just looking for a guy who... Just balance, right? Just to balance out the roster a little bit. And I'm looking across the league. Honestly, mid-tier salaries are a little bit hard to find. Yeah. Like, like for example, would you take on... Would you do Chris Boucher for Landry Shaman? Landry has 10 for I next think, year, I think 11 the, for ne- the year I after, think the 12 path for is, the year after.
1: I think the path is you take Chris... And you attach Thad as an expiring and you send it to a team that's looking to get off uh, longer term salary. Like, okay, so someone can you has get, like,
0: can you get so that gets you to 18, 19 million? Yeah, can you get Bogdanovich and throw in some picks, I suppose? I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't hate, think you need to throw in a pick to... for
1: Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich is like on a three year, four year deal at 20 million. I don't, well, I thought I don't the need Hawks like
0: Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich. I would love to get Bogdanovich. I've been, yeah, I've been saying the that Hawks also
1: very much want to get under the tax. Their ownership was basically like, We want to build a winner around Trey Young. Also, we don't want to pay the tax. <laughs> and they're hey, like, man. Okay. Um pick I,
0: one. I, I I suppose if they, yeah, if they want to make a trade with Toronto, they want to get Pascal more than anything else. So Hey,
1: a lot of times when Ka- Pascal and Chris Boucher are both uh wearing like the same headband and leg sleeves, it's tough to tell which one's on the court. Like I'll be honest, I know their numbers, I know the thing. It's just that, hey, it's one of those things where like where they both have headbands and they're both like rocking the same haircut. Hey, you know, maybe the Hawks say, "Hey, you know, Chris Boucher is the closest thing to Pascal Siakam we can get right now."
0: Yeah, the, uh, if we can do the do the bait and switch, that'd be amazing. <laughs> but uh, I, I I doubt that that's that's gonna fly, man. Uh, <laughs> what's Bogdanovich making? Eighteen? Yeah, you know, yeah. Honestly, yeah, he's like eighteen a year. So if you take, yeah, but it's expiring eighteen. Like that's actually absolutely perfect. That's exactly kind of who I would want in this in yeah. this kind of hypothetical trade. Obviously, I know he's a much better player than Chris. So the Raptors have to toss in more, but. You know, like, yeah, it's us sh- 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 it. What, THT? You know, THT's going into the last year of his deal, making 11. Oof. Is that who you want? You want THT? How is he still well, 22? If
1: well, if we were talking about DeLon, like, hey, um, another yeah. former Raptor who's been in, like, trade
0: rumors. Like, you want hey, you, you meet- want Chunky DeLon? Like, there's <laughs> just, like, he's just, he, he yeah, he, he got a big body, but he plays great, man.
1: No, no, no. I'm talking about uh, just going over to the Clippers and be like, hey, yo, you want to get off some long-term salary? Uh, you know, we'll take Norm Powell off your
0: hands. Why oh, <laughs> no, Norm would be kind of sick. Norm, Norm actually, you know what? Norm would be kind of sick. Norm and Dennis off the bench together. Defensively, obviously, you know, liability, whatever. But like getting scoring off your bench.
1: And then you get an entire season Ooh. of who starts, Gary or Norm, and it's going to be
0: fantastic. Yeah, okay. I, I suppose we can have the Gary for Norm. Was it a good trade? Does it even matter when we have both guys? We can end the debate there. Yeah, I'm just looking across the league right now. Like, it's just hard to find. Like, maybe we we end up trading for like, um, who? Yeah, I don't even know to be honest, man. There's just not a lot of great mid tier salaries. but yeah, like, the, I would the, love I to see like just one, a four turn into a guard. That's all I'm yeah, saying. I think off the like bench. the obvious one would have been like if they did
1: like a sign and trade for Io. Uh, yeah, that would be, that would have been him. good. Yeah, but like whatever the the Bulls decided to bring him back, um, and that's how you end up with Javon Freeman Liberty because the Bulls are. Mm-hmm. Just don't want to, don't have money or spot. So yeah.
0: Okay. How about this? How about this? You know, because the Raptors only make trades with one team, the San Antonio Spurs. <laughs> Keldon Johnson? No, no, no. no Send them Fad
1: young back. Or is it, is it time to, you know, pick up Malachi Branham from the polka daycare?
0: No, I, I honestly, I hated watching him summer. Like this guy was just <laughs> chucking every shot, man. Hated that. It was horrible. Um. Anyway. Uh. Yeah. Doug McDermott. 13.7 expiring. Dougie McBuckets. Yeah. I mean, somehow we're gonna end up giving the Spurs a first round pick, so I'm gonna say no, but hey man. All I'm saying
1: a- is about all the first round picks we're giving to the Spurs. I, I'm just waiting for when we eventually <laughs> collect them in three to four years when they're good players again. Yeah. So that I'm just like it's a cycle. It's like uh yeah. using them as our farm team.
0: Bro, it's literally <laughs> like when you're playing Pokemon and you just stick a you just stick one of your guys in the daycare. You're like, I'm not gonna train this magic carp to level 20 before he evolves into Gyarados. Let me just stick him in the here, walk around for like, you know, two stages, get beat two gyms, and then fly back there, scoop it up, raise it one level, and all of a sudden you got a Gyarados to join your team. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Ken Burch still guaranteed on that deal. Again, like, if I'm Jeff Down, <laughs> I'm sick, bro. Ken <laughs> Kem make it a, a smooth, hard, guaranteed $7 million for next year.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: They so got Chetty Osmond as well. Again, listen, uh, Spurs, uh, y- y- you might have to make another call for them, man. I swear, the uproar on Raptors, if the Raptors make another stupid trade with the Spurs, I swear to God.
1: The best would be if we trade, any trade we make the Spurs, Thad Young is included, and we attach a future first with that.
0: Yeah, it's like a pyramid scheme, man. Like, what are we doing with the Spurs, man? It's just an endless shell game. Yo. Oh man, Bobby! There's only so many things that our friendship could do. Popovich like I Mitch only, is like. I, Mitch is like so long, I don't want man. your
1: future first anymore. I don't
0: have that much time left. Uh, <laughs> I am retiring. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. The ultimate example, of this obviously was was us just leaving Jacoperto down there for. And hey, listen, this person a great job with Yak. I'm actually, I was so thrilled. They when made he came him back. into
1: an offensive hub. He's an offensive playmaking hub. He's incredible. I can't wait till yeah. we use him
0: next season. He's actually
1: the most excited I am for a player next season. Is yeah, Yaka you are you, hype for Yak, dog. His his just go on NBA.com, go to any mm. of his San Antonio seasons, and just click
0: on his assists and watch the videos on But again, oh, you gosh. know who he's assisting on those? He's assisting Doug McDermott. Like <laughs> I, I've been saying this on the pod, like like a maniac, just being like every day. I'm like, hey, Doug McDermott, like. I'm like, yeah. Have you heard about Doug McDermott? I'm walking door to door handing you a flyer with Doug McDermott on it. But Hey, maybe I, Grady, digging and Yaka Proto is 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 the vibe. I think I even asked Yaka <laughs> the right question where I was like, hey, you know, in this is after he got re-signed like a couple weeks ago. I was like, yeah, you know, you had a great two-man game with Doug McDermott. Can you do that with Grady, please? Like, uh, No, the absolute arrogance to try to coach the team through questioning. <laughs> directly to the players. <laughs> I'm like Malachi. You got to, you, you know, like, do you have a role on defense? Because uh, you need one. Sorry, I did say that. I didn't say that, but you know, you do need one. Oh, TJ McConnell at, at, at uh, 8.7 this year, 9.3 for next year. Great locker room guy. Yeah, I don't know if that works with Schroeder, but I, I don't know. Like, there's, there's
1: probably a deal out there. I think it's just like by the deadline. I, I think Chris Boucher is either. Having an incredible three-point shooting season, and it's like, oh, why would we ever trade him? He's incredible depth, he's reliable depth. Or Mm -hmm. it's okay, it's time to move on from Chris Boucher and find a guard.
0: So you tell me that Chris Boucher got a shoot for his life
1: on the Raptors. You know. I I know Chris can do it, yo. Chris Chris can do it for sure. Yeah. If there's a play the thing is Chris played like awesome stretches of basketball for part of last season. Mm. And it just like Man, like I think, I think I still believe like Chris Boucher is a really useful player. It's just a, no, he absolutely he's just so a really funky player. Player. as
0: a player. No, it's not even he's so funky as a player. It's just the Raptors have so many guys <laughs> doing the same thing. So and and he makes the most money out of those guys. so it's not even his fault. Like again, I'm more than happy to have Chris on the team. You know, we again we we, we squash the beef and everything. Royce O'Neal at at, at nine point five expiring next year.
1: Royce O'Neal.
0: Yeah, the, the pod's got to end, man. Yeah.
1: <laughs> sorry it's, the thing is whoever you bring in has to be good enough to play above uh in front of grady mcdaniels and um uh, one of kolokor precious so it's like yeah.
0: and, it and honestly there's not that much of a point to balancing on a roster in the margins like this yeah when you're not even gonna try to contend next year you know what i mean like even exactly. all these things break right the raptors make the playoffs and lose in the first round so that's why we're not having the other conversation, which we can have on future episodes on if the Raptors are just fully pivoting and rebuilding going a different direction. But I will say
1: this yeah. on all of this. There's one thing that will make the Raptors work next season, and that is if Scotty Barnes pops off. If Scotty Barnes pops yeah, off, I, oh, suddenly yeah, of all of the questions are gone. You don't worry about your future anymore because Scotty Barnes pops off. You don't really, you're not worried about are the Raptors a contender or not? Because now they have Scotty Barnes popping off alongside Pascal Siakam, everything makes sense again. So mm. if it works, you don't have a question. It's if it's not working that you then start having to ask questions. And I think you're just, we're just gonna have to see it. Like, it's just going to be uh, it's just going to be a process. Either it's yeah. going to work or it's not going to work. And that's why I, I, my, my thoughts on the Raptors was there. They really don't have any hard decisions to make as much as their decisions are going to be made for them by, like the results of their players. Like, either these guys actually work or they don't. Mm. And if they don't work, then like you don't really have, there's no real choice. It's like, okay, I guess you move on from Pascal Siakam. Okay, I guess you move on from OG Ananobi maybe if he's not, if it's still not working. Uh, Fred Van Vliet made the decision for you. Uh, so he's not back. Mm-hmm. And that's really it. Like, either the stuff works or doesn't. And if Scotty Barnes doesn't hit and you missed on Scotty Barnes and you, set up your entire team and made decisions to build it around Scotty Barnes and it doesn't hit, then you're just like every other team that had a lottery pick they tried to build around and it didn't work out. And you just restart it. But, like, this is kind of you're starting to reach the end of the Raptors. Like, of all, like, the flexibility they've kept and all the options they've kept open, you're now just reaching the end of the road of it where it's like, okay, well, now you're running out of options and it's now either it's going to work or not work. And if it doesn't work, like you always have the option to blow it up, but that that's effectively going to be the last option you get left with. And you're getting very close to that.
0: Yeah. Well, this is why we're here, you know, but hey, listen, we actually had a long, productive conversation Just on the actual Raptors itself, we didn't talk about trade rumors, we didn't talk about tearing it down, all the other kind of stuff. We actually just talked about like what who's on the roster and how this team could potentially play and improve and what are the big factors. And again, if the Raptors don't hit on like pretty much all six of these make or breaks, season's probably going to be terrible or not terrible, but like not living up to expectation or not like fulfilling. Let's just say that um but hey I, I guess we can cross that bridge when we get to it in two months i don't know how we're gonna bridge the content on this podcast for two months man i, I like yeah it's, it's gonna be tough i don't know how many banter pods people have um the, the at the, the, the bandwidth to uh to, to listen to but you know you're gonna get them because uh there's no actual raptors content otherwise so asad i appreciate you oh yeah we gotta yeah we gotta link up soon man because you've been uh, you've been hyping up cricket in my dms every day um you know <laughs> So, yeah, what's what's going on there? What's what's going on? So you've been watching a lot more local cricket? Huh? Yeah, so uh, it's not even even local cricket. Like,
1: basically, like, cricket's not really ever been accessible here in terms of, like, the best players. Like, usually it's just, like, you get, like, guys that are, like, you know, playing at, like, club level here. Mm, but, okay. you know, now they've brought uh, – they have a, you know, an a, not an arena, but they have a pitch out in Brampton where they've set up, you know, seating and all that. And they've brought together, like, a lot of, like – Great players, like actual professionals from around the world, um, mix them with local ta- talent, put them into six teams, and put together this tournament that's running three weeks. Is the GT GT Twenty Canada? Mm. Uh, it's a very digestible form of cricket, so it's what a three-hour, four-hour game. Yeah, um, yeah. I went to one last weekend. It was really enjoyable time. Tickets are pretty cheap. Like it's not like an expensive outing by any means. Like you can get in for as low as like five or ten bucks, and oh, like okay. you can get like vip seating which is like you know like a tent then like an elevated tent with air conditioning and drinks and stuff and like a good view for like as low as like 30 40 bucks so like
0: i pay pay 20 dollars for air conditioning at this current moment exactly so
1: it was a good time like when i went it was a really good time uh obviously i know about the game cricket but like this form of cricket very digestible um it get you're in and out of there pretty quick and like right now it's been a little bit slow just because like there's been a lot of rain so like for sure it's an outdoor sport, so if the ground is a little bit wet and the ball doesn't, like, bounce as hard or uh, move as fast, it kind of slows down the points total. Mm. But overall, like, it's a fast-paced form of the game. It's fun to watch. Um, I would say, like, if you're really looking for something to try, it's free to watch on CBC Gem. They basically have games right, every day yeah. at, like, 11 and so yeah, 3.30. Like, the stream there. is actually really solid, man. Yeah, the stream is, like, like it's professional broadcast quality, so it's, like, yeah. perfectly fine. Like, they've got a commentary crew that's doing play by play and explaining the game for you as well. Mm. It's really well done. It's kind of popping off. Like they had two of these before the pandemic. And then obviously the pandemic shut sift out. Now they're bringing it back. Um, and it was a good time. I had a good time out there. It was pretty cheap. Okay. And to be honest, like it's only going to last another two weeks, yeah. uh, and then it'll be done. So if you got nothing else to do during your day, just yo, you know, I'm telling on, you, I, I go f- on CBC gotta, and watch it for free. <laughs> I got to fill four hours of Raptors doom scrolling. Yeah. And, and especially like you if know. you like baseball, like I'll be honest with you, it's not like a dissimilar experience. The only di- difference is that you're seeing a lot more scoring just because of the way the game yeah, is yeah. set. Like it's right. the scores look a lot more like basketball than they do uh, soccer. So you're mm-hmm. like, the scores, like, you know, one team throws up 150, then the other team's trying to chase down 150.
0: Oh, that's wrap. Uh, that's uh, that's
1: Clippers Kings. Exactly. So they have a set amount of time to do it, and yeah. that's about it. So, right.
0: No, that honestly it. Yeah, let, let's actually get together um, and, and go out to a game. Um, yeah, I'm I would down. love to see cricket because I'm not going to lie to you, bro. The only time I've seen cricket in my life is, is uh, well, it's not true the only times, but I've seen it in assorted parks in Toronto, just like yeah. watching from afar, trying to figure out what's going on or like l- seeing people like play cricket in like parking lots. Um and, yeah, I mean, if cricket was actually going to be really, like, popular anywhere, like, I think Toronto is actually, like, a yeah. really perfect idea. Because, like, there's a ton about, of like, stuff here. Bro, the and, amount of South Asians we have in the GTA region, plus a lot of the number of people we have from the Caribbean, plus a number what I'll of people that we is... have from, like, the actual, like, British, whatever whatever you call those countries, um, yeah. the Commonwealth. Yeah, like, yeah. it actually makes a ton of sense for cricket to actually take root in Toronto, so... Yeah.
1: And what I'll yeah. tell you is that like there's a there's a league in the states that started Major League Cricket, mm. um, and it's very likely I could I could see there being a Toronto-based team that plays in that league, uh, sure, in not? the near future. It would make a lot of sense. There's a giant crowd here. There's a there's a giant market, and there's a huge market for the sport here as well. And that league is a lot further around. This is just kind of like a annual tournament type thing. Okay, where they bring players in, they kind of like fantasy draft them into six teams, and then go at it. But what I'll say is um one thing that uh me and friend of the pod, uh Big V, Vivek, mm. we both went to the same high school. We played cricket at the high school, we won basically every single championship there was to win in uh what do you call no, it? In, in the GTA. <laughs> we talked about offshore dynasties. In, yo, we won thirteen years in a row. It was crazy. Oh uh, man our school was okay it for cricket, right? Um uh, both of us were kind of
0: kicking ourselves when we what saw school was but, this? Uh, the Woodlands school, baby. Oh, Woodlands. Right, right, right. Anyways. There, there, there was a problematic nickname to that school. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. so one thing that we were kicking ourselves that we were looking mm. at some of the, uh, salaries that these guys are getting paid out for three weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, man, if we knew this was coming down the line, mm. Forget forget uh Friday night basketball, man. I would have been I would have been grinding. I would have <laughs> okay. been Pascal Siakam on the pitch, you know, in the nets. Let's take a wicket. After after taking and a wicket. Yo, here's the thing. Here's the thing. That is if you like <laughs> no, Pascal man. Siakam screaming and one. Okay, nobody likes cricket. that. Let's be honest. You'll nobody likes that. Because that's what that's what the pitchers be doing mm-hmm. when they need to get an out. They turn to the ref and just scream at the ref. That's how you appeal for uh, it out. So what was your, what was your position, up. man? Me? Yeah. Uh, first year, I was scorekeeper and bench because I <laughs> didn't have a growth spurt and I was chubby and our team was stacked. Uh, but then okay, after, that, right. after that, I was a specialty spin bowler. So, like, uh, basically a pitcher. So, you can either uh-huh. pitch fast, right? Right, right, um, right, Or you had guys who spun the ball. So, they pitched it slow. Right. But when you pitch it, you pitch it on a bounce. So, like, basically the ball yeah. would bounce and then spin like crazy. And I was really good at doing that because I would launch the ball, like, from a really high angle because I'm 6'4", right. pretty decent wingspan. Yeah, so it would take forever to land, and then it would spin like a solid meter. So mm. you would get a lot of misses, a lot of a lot of outs that way. Be right. fun. So I was a specialty guy at the time, but
0: okay, you know. all right.
1: It's a fun you know, sport. It's definitely worth giving a try. It's by far the most digestible form of it. I know that there's a yeah. lot of like, oh, cricket's boring. That's a five five day game. That's boring as hell. Now this version of it is made to be like. Boom, bam, like all right, you're yeah. just seeing a bunch of homers and stuff. So yeah. all it's right. uh it's it's worth checking out. It's free. It's free to watch
0: on C B C. Yeah. So <laughs> No, I mean not, look, le- legit, I- I'm actually absolutely serious. Let's let's actually you, me, Sahal, whoever else you want to grab, let let's actually go see a game. But I also know that somewhere in Seoul, uh South Korea, Alex Wong has just taken out an earbud. <laughs> And in disgust and being like this is what my pod has come down to when I'm away for two weeks. <laughs> they did a full 10 minute ad for cricket. No, but I'm 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 actually kind of hyped. So um all right. Well, I saw it besides that. I mean, anything else you wanna anything else want to share?
1: Uh nothing. I'm gonna just shout out the substack again. Uh, yeah, goes and claws.substack.com. Uh prosenclaw ssubstackcom uh, Iman just did a really great piece on uh, Damian Lillard, where she basically broke down the, like the different sides of the coin, what each person, each team's leverage is, and kind of like what it really means to like you know sign a contract and what loyalty actually means in the NBA. Um, so I think it's a really useful like way to break it down. Mm-hmm. Other than that, in terms of Raptors content, there's going to be tons of Raptors content, on top of NBA content on there. Um, yep. I did a Jalen McDaniels piece. I did some Summer League notes, which I didn't care to go back and add on in the later games because effectively it was the same stuff. Uh, Once we we saw
0: one summer league game from the Raptors, (laughs) we were like, all right, we kind of get the idea. Yeah.
1: So um, I did do, so basically uh, one thing I'm going to be doing there is I'm going to be doing almost like report style uh, summaries for players um, as we go through the season and especially with acquisitions, which uh, so it's like, you can kind of hop on and the first half you can quickly read the summaries, get, okay, what's the player good at? What's he not so good at? What are some highlights? When I watch the game, what should I look for? Um, And try to basically explain the game, not just like, hey, this is a stat. Like, oh, Jalen McDaniels has a really good rebound percentage. It's like, well, no, it's like, oh, these are the stats Jalen McDaniels has, and this is what it's going to look like on the floor. You're going to see him attacking the paint a lot um, to get rebounds. You're going to see him really active from behind on the help, getting blocks and stuff like that, and running on transition. So just trying to explain the game in a way that's, you know, uh, approachable for – people who may be new fans or people who may be casual fans of the Raptors and just want to know more and want to kind of understand the game without kind of being overloaded with information. Uh, potentially like we want to make it a kind of an easy space to learn the Raptors as well. So mm. um, check it out. It's free to subscribe to. So just, you know, subscribe for free and leave us comments. We have an active, uh, we want to have an active community there um, in the Substack app. They have a great feature where you can kind of just like make threads and discuss Mm. uh, with your subscribers, so feel free to jump in. I know during the season I'm going to be fairly active with it, so it should be a good space, and especially, you know, if X or Twitter or whatever he wants to call it isn't around by then, you know, it'd be a good place to have a group of people to kind of go to and talk to every game day. So Yeah.
0: I'm not going to lie, man. That's the thing I miss the most about Twitter. Like, just a the jokes but like the jokes are already kind of gone to to, to a large degree um but it's, it's just the, it's still the community, place to man. consume live content right it's exactly. like exactly yeah i
1: don't want to feel alone when i watch this basketball game on my tv i want to feel like i'm watching it with like a thousand other people
0: yeah, yeah yeah and like that's where i still see people being like authentic people being really invested like otherwise it's just like maybe this is probably true of like most internet persona but like it's like much more cold much more detached much more like haha i'm laughing at you. And whatever. Like, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm above this. Like, I think I do a lot, too. But like, I, I'm just recognizing that that's are the behavior patterns that I typically see. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. Um, I, I think like, there has to be other platforms that emerge where people can sort of connect and um, not even just engage with creators. Because again, I feel like that's, that's like one. Yeah, it, it should be more just a like community period. Just saying I'm looking for engagement, not sort of like serving customers in that way like yeah. more engagement and so and people self makes a lot of sense for that uh, that specific medium yeah and because you're actually getting about, people who actually care rather than care people about content, trolling right? you yeah. or
1: trolling a subject you know like yeah. what's the point and even with that like i will say like just on how great twitter is it's just like people talk about social media like oh it's an open conversation like that way you can join the conversation but the thing that made twitter special is that since it's tailored to being like right now it's live it's real time the conversations are real because like you don't have people filtering through, Oh, how do I carve the perfect response? It's like, no, you just saw a dunk, make a, mm. make a joke, make a comment. You just saw a play happen, make a comment. Like what's your raw analysis of this, which is as close as you're going to get to having a real life conversation with friends. Like if I'm yeah. at Will's house and watching the game, both of us are like, what the hell? <laughs> I caught out of play. Like, yeah, what do you mean? You just the back yeah. And that's what you see on Twitter. And I think that, that thing you can't really capture in any social media that isn't working in live real-time chronological order. Like as much as I want an algo to serve me content sometimes, just because I want to like relax, Mm -hmm. I want to be like just part of like real-time conversation. And I think everybody who's on Twitter is specifically the type of people who crave that, uh, which is like, I I just want to be in conversations all the time. So,
0: well, yeah. So there you go. All right. Well, uh, follow Assad on Twitter at Um as, as long as Twitter exists. But uh, yeah, in the meantime, for pod content this week, so my plan was I wanted to do something on Monday, on Wednesday, and Friday. For the life of me, I just did not have other ideas. So, came up with this idea. Very happy Assad was here to talk about it. I don't have any other ideas for content for the week. I will try my best to think for something for next Monday as well, but realistically, we're going to have two pods this week, and I'm sorry, but season wise it's gonna be pretty difficult unless you really want me to come down and be like wow this is the latest scotty barnes highlight run from miami or whatever and i'm like come on guys we, we did a whole summer of this last year and it didn't work out so um yeah I, i'm gonna try my best as obviously this is my job but at the same time off season is the off season, so content will drop but I, I really can't guarantee three pods man there's just not enough content so uh thanks everyone so for listening please rate review subscribe to the show and uh yeah enjoy your summer you know like i think just get out there every single day you know
1: yeah we'll took got- we'll took the raptor show to heart he's like i'm just like
0: the raptors i can't hit three guys yo first <laughs> off first off before i close out yesterday at the run i a pretty solid run man pretty solid run i'm like consistently averaging like in the course of like We're playing usually for, we run from like 9.30 to 11. So in the course of an hour and a half, and you're playing like, let's say half the time, because it's not like my team's winning all the time. But like, I'm like, I'll make like three threes, you know, per, per run. Like, that's not terrible anymore. I'm actually feeling pretty good about my progress. I got a little Duncan Robinson attack the closeout. If I'm coming from the, if the closeout is such that I can get to my right hand, I will take a dribble and get into the middle of the lane for a little like little one push shot floater. I probably should just take it all the way to the basket because I'm like big enough to do that, but I don't have any skill to do that. So I just usually try to throw up a runner. But like I'm just telling you, man. I'm telling you, the game is coming. All right. I know yeah. I've been saying this on the hey, show for like I'll, I'll tell you you're you for, playing like, pickup, four years. Yeah. If
1: you're playing pickup, like this is something some guy told me um once in a pickup run like seven years ago, where he was just like, yo, like why do you keep passing up shots? Just take your shot. Stop trying to make the best play. This is mm. pickup. Go hunt your shot. And I just hunted yeah. my shot for like a month straight. And then, like, it just completely opened up my game where I was like, oh, I'm a different type of player when I'm hunting my shot because, like, it just opens up completely different things in your game. And you might not even be the best shooter right now, but just go jack them up. No, that's what I'm doing right
0: now because, like, I'm even starting to notice that, like, people are actually, like, A, closing out on me, or, like, B, they're not leaving me at all. So there's certain ways that I could move to, like, help the play when I'm not even shooting. Like, I'm not saying I have gravity, quote-unquote, but, like, it's even kind of understanding those effects so anyway like i'm just saying man get outside play basketball play soccer that's what i've been doing the last like two three days and uh yeah it feels great so enjoy something while i was here in toronto it, it is it is quite blessed minus the fact that it's 90 humidity every day so uh thanks everyone for listening thanks to Aside for coming on the program and uh yeah i'll catch you on the podcast next week